You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. In reverence of the Lord, let's remain standing as we turn to Him in prayer. God, I pray that the words we just finished singing be the true reality of every single heart here. God, would you be preeminent in our lives? Would you, oh God, topple any idols that are taking the, the throne of our hearts, God, would, including if it's ourselves, God, would you instead, would you occupy the throne of our lives, uh, not just today, but forever and ever? For we know, God, that's where our life is designed to be. That's where our greatest joy is. That's where our hope is, is when you are in control and we are not. And so, God, we give you all glory and all honor and all power and all authority today to work your will out in our lives. God, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear, God, and hearts to understand. For the weary soul, God, bring them rest today. Give them strength for for the wandering heart, God. Bring them back today through your word. For the discouraged, God, lift them up in encouragement. And for the rebellious heart, soften that hard heart, God, and bring them to yourself today, I pray. Wherever our hearts are, we pray this, God, that your word would not return void today. In each and every life here, may we hear, may we understand, and may we respond to the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We so cherish your word for points us towards you. It shows us your character. It shows us how you work in our lives. It shows us how to live our life. And so, God, we cherish this time. It's not just something we do. We're not just passing the time now for the next 45 minutes. It's not just some guy listening to himself speak. We're listening to the words of the living God that apply so evidently true in our lives. May this day, this moment now be set aside for you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to take a seat uh, this morning, and the ushers are coming down with the Bible if you need one. Acts chapter, what chapter are we on? Who knows, who knows? 27. Some of you are paying attention. Good, good. Acts 27. Uh, this week, just one chapter, so I can talk half as fast as the last two weeks. Uh, probably not, but I'm pretty excited about that possibility. Uh, Acts chapter 27, carrying on here in the early church as God is moving the gospel and the church forward for his glory. And uh, as we start, just want to be thinking about this. As a pastor, I'm always looking for metaphors, for word pictures to help you understand spiritual truths. And there's a lot of them when it comes to uh, life. Uh, some of you have these metaphors you live by when it comes to life. Think of, think of some of the metaphors of life. Heard. Life is a highway. You know the song, and I want to, you know the song, right? But think about that. It's full of twists and turns and ups and downs. But really kind of like your destiny is at your, at your control. Like take it and embrace it and go. We've heard of that one. We've heard of this one. Life is a song. And there's a song about life being a song actually by Patrick Park. And life is a dance, right? You just got to somehow get in the melody of the Lord. And you just got to do the dance. And it's all joyful. And you just got to waltz your way through life to the music. And well, this life is a gift. Your role is to open it and embrace it. Or life is a book. You now get the task of filling the pages. Uh, my last two are the two of my most favorite two. I think that are most scriptural. Life is a, a journey. We have this picture of like a, a mountain hiker hiking up a mountain or a, 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 someone hiking through the woods with a backpack on. And we know that there's ups and downs. There's hard terrain. There's easy terrain. And, and, and especially in the mountain picture, like, man, but it's going to be a, a long journey. But in the end, you get to the summit. It's going to be all worth it all. That's one of the illustrations I like the most of life being a journey. What about this one? Life is but an ocean voyage. Again, a biblical one because there's so often in the Bible uh, pictures of the, the ocean and, and they're traveling from one place to another by boat. And, and we see in the 
illustration of life being an ocean, this beautiful and breathtaking journey at times, but at other times so full of tumultuous storms of wind and waves and all these different word pictures of how you can describe life. I think no matter which one kind of you gravitate to and which one that you kind of hold closer to your heart, we can all agree to this, regardless of how we look at life, each one can agree to this, life is not easy. Amen? It's often full of unexpected storms. Somehow we think that if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, that yes, there's going to be opposition, but the adversity, we're just going to got to have a, a bypass of that stuff. It's not going to have the hard things everybody else comes up against. It's just not true. As we walk through life, there are many times we as Christians, even followers of Jesus Christ, are going to come up into hard times and storms of, of seemingly overwhelmed by the circumstances that we have no control over. Just part of life. If there was a magic pill that Jesus gave us that we could take and avoid all that, trust me, I'd take it every single day and I'd be a millionaire because I'd be giving it and selling it to every one of you as well. But the key in our life as followers of Jesus Christ, the key in our life is living on mission for Jesus. It's to not figure out how to navigate around the storm, just to figure out how we can most, most glorify God and navigate through the storm for the glory of God. And this is exactly what Paul is showing us on this last leg of his journey. And I'm sure some of you are even there today. So we're walking in here going, man, you're talking about storm. My soul is in turmoil today of a storm that I'm going through and whatever that might be for you. And I'm just not sure what to do. I'm ready to throw it in. I'm ready to pack it in and throw in the towel. I'm ready to quit and give up on it. Like, what do I do? If you're not there today, if you're there today, this, this be an encouragement to you. If you're not there today, live long enough and you will be there. And so all the more reason for all of us to listen up today. Here's the first thing I want you to write in your notes as we think of this title, God in the Storm. God in the storm is what I've called Acts chapter 27. First thing I want you to write in your notes is this. When you set sail for God's destination, expect stormy seasons. When you set sail for God's destination, expect stormy seasons. Somehow, I think we've gotten this idea that if we're going to follow God, everything is going to be good and, and there's going to have no more storms. And that's just a false understanding of the gospel and of what God's role is in your life that, that honestly we need to get rid of today. Look at, look at the example of Paul. Uh, Paul's finally, his trial is over. Remember in Acts chapter 25 and 26? Uh, actually, 23, 24, 25, and 26. He was on trial before all kinds of different uh, officials. And finally, his trial is over. It ended with this. Verse 31, and when they withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa says to Festus, this man could, could have been set free for if he had not appealed to Caesar. Remember, Paul's like... If I'm tried in, in Jerusalem, I'm going to be dead for sure, but I'm going to go with my chances here. I'm a Roman citizen in Rome. That's my best chance at a fair trial. So he, he, he's getting his appeal here to the highest court of Caesar in Acts chapter 27. Better yet, here's a way to say this. God is following through with his plan to get Paul to Rome. And God does it in an unorthodox way, a way that we'd say, that can't be God, that can't be God. And yet it is God because we see the story unfold before us. And so I'm just going to summarize for you again a little bit so we're not reading every single word for time's sake. But here's what it is. And when it is decided that he should sail for Italy, go to Rome, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of, August, of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. So verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. So here's what we see. We see Paul 
We think, oh, Paul's going to go to Rome. Like, when's the royal chariot going to come, right? There's going to be a royal chariot. It's going to be like all pomp. And like, it's not that at all. What happens is his royal chariot happens to be a prisoner ship with a couple of his buddies. We see, haven't seen um, Luke since Acts chapter 21. He's the writer of this. And all of a sudden he says, we. So Luke is in there. Uh, remember his faithful companion? He's back to riding shotgun with him on this prisoner ship. And then our starch just comes along. He's another friend of theirs. That's a devout Macedonian. So here's two of Paul's biggest supporters on the journey, most important journey of his life. God allows him to be surrounded by them. And then we see then a series of ships that are going to take Paul to Rome. And uh, under the first one's under the guidance of Julius. Here's the map right here. So they're going to start at Cauda and go to Fairhaven. We're going to see all these names in here, but this is kind of the general map of where they're going. They're starting at the beginning with under the authority of a guy named Julius. He's a, he's a guy that's of the, see what it says here, a centurion of the Augustan cohort. This is supposed to cause you to go like, ooh, he's high and mighty. Mr. Fancy Pants, you know, he's got like just all the stripes. He's, he's uh, a distinguished legion of the Roman army that are known for their character and their kindness and their justice. This guy's got the special task of like, hey, here's your task before the emperor. Get the prisoner from here to there. Special assignment, which is a big deal back then. So Julius's task is whatever happens, make sure Paul doesn't get lost at sea. And so the problem is from the get-go, verse 4. The winds are against them. So they're exactly where God wants them to be. They're exactly going where God wants them to go in an unconventional approach. Maybe we wouldn't think prisonership, but they're exactly where God wants them to be. And guess what? First, next, next verse. The winds are against them. And this is kind of the theme. Like everywhere they turn on this journey, the winds are like absolutely stopping the progress they want to make. Get to a port, switch ships. Same story, second verse, same as the first kind of thing. It's, it's, it's all winds in your face. And it's sort of one of those vacations where, you know those vacations as families where you set out and you're like, oh man, it's going to be a bad trip. You ever have those? Am I the only one? It happens to us every Sunday morning, it seems. <laughs> you know, where you're up early and you're planning on leaving by seven and like eight o'clock still, you still haven't gone yet. You get on the road and you forgot your wallet, so you're on your way back and you get your wallet and you get halfway down the road again and you're like, where are our passports, you know? And, and then it starts freezing rain. You look at your wife, this is going to be a bad trip. You ever had one of those? Because I'm not the only one. You can, you can participate this morning, you know, like nod and smile and pretend you're with me. This is sort of what it is for Paul. This is, this is going to be a bad trip. Paul even gets in here after they get to um, Fair Havens. Fair Havens uh, probably is the name the Chamber of Commerce gave this place because it obviously wasn't fair enough to stay for the, the whole winter, right? So like, oh, come to our little Fair Havens. It's probably a good place, not the best place. And so they're like, well, it's not the best place. So like, we should keep going, and, uh, which is a bad decision. It's right after the fast. See that verse 9, after the fast was already over? This is the Day of Atonement in Jerusalem. In, in Jerusalem. So the, the day they all came together to confess their sins. And that ended the end of September, early October. So if you don't think about boating, end of September, early October is not a time to go sailing for anywhere far. And so they're like, man, the winds are against us. It's hard. It's almost winter. And Paul stands up. Remember, he's the prisoner. He is... He's got more courage than any of us probably would have. He stands up and he says this. He goes, verse 10, Sirs, I perceive, <laughs> smart man, isn't he? The big winds. And I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. And so Paul gets up and he's like, this is a bad idea. You know why he perceived it was going to be a bad idea? He'd been through three shipwrecks, shipwrecks already at this point in his life. And he's like, I don't want to do this one again. Please, can we stay? They're like, nope, the centurion considers like the captain and the higher command. He's like, nope, we're going. And so they, uh, they take off only to find more storm, more storm, more storm. 
Let's take a break from the text and kind of like think about this for a minute here together. We've been tracking Paul and tracking closely. You know what we think by now? This is the last leg of his journey. You're probably thinking like me. Won't there be some sign of God's favor in his life by everything finally going perfectly? Isn't that how we tend to think? If God's in it, it's going to be easy. It's going to go well. If God's not in it, it's going to be hard. And yet, yet what do we see in Paul's life? I just want to, I want to tell you this because I think this is one mindset we buy into often that if we can get out of it, it's going to help us actually navigate the storms of life with greater effective for, effectiveness for the glory of God. If we can start thinking that life's not always going to be easy. In fact, life is probably going to get harder as we follow Christ more closely than it is easier. Because if you notice Paul... From day one, think of when he got saved in Acts chapter 9. What has been easy in his life? He's had God with him, but what's been easy? It's been difficult. It's been hard, and it's getting harder, and you get to here, and you're like, well, but, but this can't really be happening, can it? Do this many things really go wrong for somebody that God loves? Isn't it always supposed to work out for good? What about goodness in this? I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, the, 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 the more we follow Christ on mission, the, the, the deeper we get into our passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what? It's going to feel like the winds of the, of the enemy are against us every single time we step out to do something for God. And it's going to get more intense. Why? Because there's, God is real, absolutely. There's an enemy out there who hates what we're doing, and he hates the fact that we're trying to follow God. And so if we're stepping out in, in, in hard circumstances... We can take that as maybe we're on the right track instead of the wrong track because that's true of Paul's life and every believer that follows God. You know, what about the good then? You mentioned good. What about the good? We have to redefine good according to the way God redefines good in our lives. Here's what God's good is compared to the, the good that we think. God's good is, 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 is not a happily ever after Hollywood good. It's not a Disney good where every dream's going to come true. Here's God's good. God's good draws you closer to him. That's a good that God calls good. God's good makes you more like his son. God has a plan for you to receive his, reveal his power to the world through you. That's, that's good in God's eyes. God's good is a higher good, an ultimate good. And I think we need to get out of this easy button mentality of, well, if I pray, it's going to be easy. And we can toss the easy button over, overboard and we can get into the blessing button because I want you to notice, as, as hard as it is, there's blessing every step of the way for Paul. I believe Paul is one of the most, one of the most uh, satisfied men with the most, one of the most meaningful lives that have ever lived because he was so close to his God. I believe Paul had joy and worth and satisfaction like, like few of us have in our culture of all the distractions because, because he was so focused on God's power and God's presence and God's glory that he was close to his father. Abundant life in Jesus doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from being close to God. And here's where Paul is. He's close to God. But in the midst of this hardship, I just want you to see God's fingerprint all over Paul's life. I want to tell you that because it's real. And it's true. I don't want to set you up for a false understanding of what Christian life is going to be like. Anyone here, Christian life getting easier for you as you've been following Jesus? Anyone? That's what I thought. But yet, look at, look at God's fingerprint, the same fingerprint we can expect in our lives. Verse 3. Actually, verse, verse 1. All of a sudden, even, in this, even, even though it's hard, somehow God gets two of his buddies on this ship with him. I don't think it was common for prisoners 
to travel with their friends. God's grace to him. How did they get on the ship? Probably because they said, we're slaves of Paul. Okay, you can come along with that. That's God's grace to him. What about this in verse 3 here where they allow Paul to go out and get ministered to and be cared for by his friends? I think that's God's favor he's putting on Paul's life for just a little moment of like, hey, Paul, don't worry, I'm still with you. Again, can you imagine a, a, a commanding officer giving a prisoner, hey, free reign, get a free pass for the day. And a poor one like Paul probably does Probably never happened. What about fair havens in this? Fair havens, that, that moment of like, it's peaceful, it's calm. I believe that's a sign of God's hand upon Paul's life, even in the storm. Somehow I thought when I started ministry, that if I'm going to follow God, I'm going to have opposition. I somehow get an, an end around all these hard things. It's just not going to happen. Cancer still happens to people who love Jesus. Family friends and friends that, that pass away early and, and untimely death still happen for those of us who love Jesus. All the different things that maybe you're going through right now, the, 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 the financial uncertainty, the family meltdowns, the anxiety that you're, you're having in your heart, the loneliness, the, the, the fact that every time you feel like you step out to do something of, of anything good, that the winds are against you, just know that those are things are going to happen for believers. But if you're in that place today, if you're in that place today where you're like, man, I'm so overwhelmed, I wish things could just go good. Instead of wishing things could go good, look to God. And look for the moments that God has given you reprieve from the storm because he is giving you reprieve to remind you of his goodness and his grace. As I read this passage, I think of even just seeing the, the glimpses of God in this passage. I think of, of how our lives are quite often like my, my trip to Israel, my walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. I'm, I've told you about that before, I think, right? Hezekiah's tunnel. Have I? Okay, good. I'll tell you tonight. If you heard it before, bear with me. It's a good story though, that, that relates so well. We went to Israel a few weeks ago. One of the, the guys with us said, we, one of the things we have to do goes through Hezekiah's tunnel. Remember from, from the Old Testament that Hezekiah, moment of siege, uh, rerouted all the water through a 530-meter tunnel uh, to get all the water from the spring into the city so that they attacked it. They still have a water supply. And so you can tour that tunnel. And I'm super claustrophobic. Like, I'm so claustrophobic, you put me in a hard spot and I will throw punches. Claustrophobic. And so this guy goes, you know, we should go through Hezekiah's tunnel. It's going to be amazing. I'm like, bad idea. I'm sitting out. He's like, it's not that bad. Just come. So we got in there, and it wasn't bad at first. Pretty big opening. And I'm like, this isn't that bad. But as we get further and further into the tunnel, it is getting tighter and tighter and tighter to the point where I'm almost too little, too big to get through, and I'm little. And I am starting to go out of my skin at this point. There's a group of students in front of us of grade five that would stop every five steps to scream for who knows what reason. And I just want to get through as fast as I can. You can see the tension already, right? There's a group behind us that you can't go back because it's so skinny. And seriously, it is, it is causing me to come out of my mind. And, and I can't breathe. And I spent half the time here knee-deep water to top it all off. It took 45 minutes to go through your knee-deep water. I'm spending my time putting... Ruth's like, that water is gross. I'm like, I don't care. Do you want me to go nuts? I don't care. <laughs> just sing Amazing Grace again, please. <laughs> seriously, you've the whole tunnel. There's a few times where I thought, I am going to lose it. Like, I have to plow over all these kids. i, I got to get out. I can't breathe. And, you know, it was interesting. At, at those times where I thought I truly couldn't do it anymore, you know what happened? The tunnel would get a little wider for just a little bit. And I'd be like, ah, oh, somebody building this tunnel was claustrophobic too. <laughs> and you just get a little bit wider. And you can at least, like, move and breathe a little bit. Or you get to a place where you get higher for some reason. Like, I don't know if the guy still suddenly stood up who was kneeling down the building. And you'd be like, oh, I can almost picture myself climbing up there and breathing. Or a waft of wind would come through the tunnel. You'd be like, ah, oh, so good. 
Here's the encouragement we get from this. I believe that, that what God is doing and what God did in my life through Hezekiah's tunnel, God is doing in Paul's life here. And God assures us that even though it's going to get harder, get this, every time you need God to have a God appearance, he'll show up. Anytime you need a reprieve, you can trust that God will be there for you. Brings us to point number two. When darkness overwhelms you, look for God's light to shine. When darkness overwhelms you, look for God's light to shine. Somehow, again, we've gotten in our, our Christian psyche that as a believer, we're never supposed to be overwhelmed. We're never supposed to be discouraged because that would then, that would then take away from God. But the reality is that we're, we're human beings and sometimes life circumstances pile up and, and they overwhelm us and, and we don't know what to do and we're ashamed to admit it, which we shouldn't be. But, but man, we, we need God to show up in a real clear and powerful and obvious way. And this is what's happening in the life of Paul as he is now on this final leg of the journey to see uh, the Roman emperor Caesar. So verse 13, so they had a little reprieve, and when the south wind blew gently, they're, they're now thinking, ah, this, the hard part's over. Isn't this going to be, ever been there? Ah, oh, it's been so hard, the hard part's over, only to start out again and find it's going to get even harder yet. That's what's happening here. So they pulled up their anchor and they sailed along close to the shore. Obviously they knew that something wasn't quite right, but look at verse 14. Soon a tempestuous wind called the nor- northeaster struck down from the land. A northeaster, never heard of that before until I went to, to Maine. But here's what a northeaster is. It's a macro-scale cyclone. The name comes from the direction of the strongest winds as an offshore uh, air mass rotates counterclockwise. And it tends to blow northeast to southwest over the region covered by the northwest co- quadrant of the cyclone. So this, this northeaster blows up. And this isn't like a storm we get in Niagara. This is like, this is like a real big storm. Just to help get the context of this passage. We lived in Maine. We, we heard, I heard this. People one day were like, hey, there's a nor'easter coming. There's a nor'easter coming. Like, oh, silly Americans. It's just a storm. And, and so we, we, lived, we lived in Maine in a place where there was like our house because we, we rented it for the winter, the road, and the beach. So we're right on the ocean. And so everyone was like boarding up the hatches, you know, they're hammering on the windows. And we're like, how big of a storm can this really be? And so we're like, everyone's like, we're moving into the city. You, you're moving in. We're like, no, no, we're Canadian. We'll be fine. And, uh, as I put the last nail in my, on the windows to board up the house, which was part of my contract with my lease agreement, I came around the side of the house, and this wind came that I had never felt before. It almost picked me up off my feet. And I was trying for all of to fight this wind that just started howling. And, and honestly, the only thing that saved me is I got to a place where I could have, grab a pole and pull myself behind the house where I was sheltered from the wind. I kind of went in the back door. I'm like, Ruth, this is going to be a big storm. And as the storm unfolded, it was northeasters are real storms. We haven't seen a storm here in Canada. Northeasters are real storms. And, man, the waves came, and they'd hit the break wall, and they'd engulf telephone poles. And, and the, the winds were, I'd never seen waves, waves that big in my life. Winds were howling, and, and we drove our car down as we decided we're not, we wasn't smart to stay. We started driving down the road, and the, the big wave came and totally engulfed our car, like, over the break wall, over the beach, onto the road. And we're like, wow, this is a storm. I was a little bit nervous being on shore. I couldn't imagine being in a boat on this kind of storm. And so this is a storm where the winds are massive, they're swirling, the waves are huge, and this is causing all the people in the boat, even the hardened sailors. Here's what they start doing in verse 16. Can you picture the the fear of that? They start tying up their lifeboat, trying to keep that intact. They're violently being tossed back and forth. It says in verse 17, they're holding on for dear life. They're jettisoning their cargo. They're throwing their ship's tackle overboard. The tackle wasn't their little fishing lures. It was the, the, what they used to, to support the ship's mast and the sails. They're tossing everything overboard just to simply stay afloat. Look at verse 19. There's no sun or stars for many days. Eleven of them probably. Pitch black. Storm swirling. 
Verse 21, they hadn't eaten forever because they were probably too sick or too scared or rationing their food. And then look what happens in verse 20. All this is going on. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Everything's going overboard, including hope. Before we get too hard on them, it's, it's easy to get there, I think. Maybe some even today walk in here losing all hope that God can really save their souls or that God can really work in their circumstance. I know it's not something we admit a lot in church, but I've been there a few times myself going like, God, can you really, really work in this? Is this, is this the end? Is it, is, it, is it all over now? But instead of turning away from God in those times, like our human tendency is we need to turn to God and wait for God to show up. Because in the midst of this, here's what Paul does in verse 21. Remember, he's the prisoner. He's not the captain of the ship. He stands up. He kind of takes charge, takes leadership. I'd never advise you to say this, but look what Paul says, verse 21. Man, you should have listened to me. (laughs) Told you so. If I was on the ship, I probably would have thrown him overboard. Shouldn't have set sail. But yet, verse 22, I urge you to take heart. Get this. Take heart, for there will be no less of, no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So this ship is going down, but you guys are going to be safe. How do I know this? This very night, this very night, there stood before me an angel of the, the God, not a God or any God, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Isn't that awesome? The midst of needing God the most, every time in the story, what's happened whenever Paul's needed God the most? What's happened? God's shown up. How many times he needed them? Every time. Paul goes on to, in this, they get close to the shore, verses 21, 27, and 28. They, get, they put down a little rope. That's what a sounding is. They put down a rope, see how deep it is. And it was about 120 feet. Uh, a sound would be the, on a normal size man, not myself, but like from fingertip to fingertip, about six feet. And so about six feet, they, they realized a little while later, they get, they're 90 feet away as you look in the text. And so, what do they do? They're a couple of the soldiers, verse uh, 32, they cut away the ropes. Uh, they're going to let it go and jump on and bail on everybody. Uh, and Paul, Paul's like, don't, don't be doing that, right? Uh, you go, we all go. That's part of the deal. You stay, and uh, we'll all be saved. And so they change their minds. And then verse 33, uh, Paul says, well, why don't we have a party? Why don't we eat some food? Today's the 14th day. You've been continued in suspense without food. So two weeks, you haven't taken anything. Therefore, let's take some food for it'll give you strength for not a hair of your head is to perish of any of you. And he said these things. He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all he broke, he began to eat it. They're all encouraged and, and, and ate food, 276 of them. And then when they'd eaten it, they lightened the ship by throwing the rest of the weed into the sea. Talk about poise in the, car, in the middle of a storm, eh? Who's the poised one in this whole thing? It's Paul. Why is Paul poised? Because he knows in the God in whom he believes. I don't know about you, but I, reading this whole book of Acts, I'm like, oh, God, would you please rescue me from some of these things? Like, I don't know if I could handle it. Like, I have a hard enough time thinking there's no hope now, like in the corner sucking my thumb with some of the little things that I'm coming up against, and I don't have a tenth of the opposition that Paul had. I don't have, like, like a tenth of the hard circumstances Paul had. Like, like, how can you ever navigate through the storm? And 
You ever thought that? How can I ever navigate through this storm that God has given me? There's just no way. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have what it takes. I, I can't even hold on to God hard enough. Like, how do you navigate through the storm? Maybe in the storm that is brewing right now in your soul, how do you navigate through it? I think this text shows us how to navigate through it. Three things here from, from Paul's life. that When he says, take heart, here's what he's saying. He's saying, be of good cheer. Like, like, raise your cup in celebration. Be of good cheer. How could Paul be in such a place of good cheer? Here's three things. Number one, he hoped in God. He had his hope in God. Look what it says here in verse 23. The angel of God, the God, to whom I belong. Here's where our hope in God comes from. It comes from in the storm. Here's what's so crucial for you. For you. Remember who you belong to when you're going through the storm. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you belong to the God. It should bring a little bit of comfort to your soul. Think of the relationship between a, a person, a man or woman, and God. The, the, the word pictures in the Bible that give us to show how tight that relationship is. The Bible calls us as believers, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. How does a husband love his wife more than anybody else on the planet? He, the Bible calls us a, a child of God. How does a father love a child? Like, like you can't even put it into words. The, the, the Bible calls us a, a sheep of the good shepherd who stands and guards us. Any way you look at it, once you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're not just, you're not just the, the, the servant that comes in and serves from outside. You are part of God's chosen people. It's crazy because when we go through the storm, that's the first thing we doubt, isn't it? It's the first thing every one of us doubts. Does God really love me? Is God really for me? How can this be? Don't forget this, brothers and sisters, you go through the storm. Like a husband will fight to the death for his wife, so God will fight for you. Like a father will risk it all for his child, uh, so God will risk it all for you. Like a shepherd guards his sheep, so God does to you. I am his and he is mine. You want proof that God will do anything for you? He sent his very own son, Jesus Christ, to die on that wicked cross for your sin and my sin. Why will he not now be with you in the storm? He won't let you go. It's, I belong to hope in God. Starts with, I belong to God. I belong to him. It also moves on to this, to worshiping God. Again, one of the first things that happens in our hearts when we go through a storm, we stop worshiping. We get our eyes on the circumstance. We start thinking of how we can figure it out. And yet, look what, look what Paul says, and, and to whom I belong and to whom I worship. When the storm comes, let me encourage you this, don't stop worshiping. When the storm comes, don't, don't turn off your worship CDs. When the storm comes, don't close the Bible. When the storm comes, intensify your commitment to worship the God who deserves all your praise. That's the game changers. We go through storms. Because when, when you worship God, you see God for who he is. You see God for the, being the, he is the king of glory. You see God as the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. You see God as the lion of Judah, the everlasting God. And all of a sudden, as you see God, as you worship God, you know what? The storm doesn't quite look so big because your God is so grand. Isn't that true? And so as we go through the storm, here's how we can take heart. We can know that I belong to God. I and can continue to worship God. Worship of God gives us a whole new vision for the life that we're living. Number three is this. I can trust my Savior. I love this. To Paul, God said, God told Paul he was going to Rome, so Paul believed he would, to Rome he would go. God said it, and Paul simply believed it. Notice this, I, 
I love this in the text that Paul needed another angel of the Lord to, to meet him, to, to give him another shot of adrenaline in the arm. We sometimes get, uh, oh God, you, you showed yourself to me once. I shouldn't ask you again for another shot. It's okay. Like, like Paul had little faith too, just like we have. And, and yet God shows up at the right time. We can trust everything that God says is going to happen exactly the way he says it is. Remember when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, lo and behold, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Remember that? Remember that? Go and make disciples and basically it's, it's going to be hard, but guess what? Go, lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. You know what he meant when he said that? You know what he meant? Get this. He meant, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. You know what he meant by that? Lo, I'll be with you in every circumstance, in every high and every low, even to the day that you meet God. Don't doubt it. Don't forget it. God has a flawless track record. You can put your hope in him, not yourself, not your own wisdom, not your buddies, in God, in the storm, and he will come through. You can hope in God. Here's the second thing from this text. You can pray fervently. Look at verse 29. And fearing that they might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors in the stern and prayed for day to come. I find this interesting. They're only praying 14 days into this whole fiasco. So you think that would have been like in, in, in verse like five? I want to tell you this. It's never too late to pray. Can I say that simply? It's never too late to pray. I know prayer is supposed to be our first response. Is it your first response every time? Be honest. Is it your first response every time? Good. No hands are up. Mine neither. So what happens in our minds is, well, I didn't pray at first, and I feel bad and feel guilty, and so I'm going to keep trying to figure this out, and now I can't pray at all because God's mad at me. And here's, here's, here's a good thing we learned from Paul. It's never too late to pray. Some of you have been trying to walk through your storm, storm all by yourself, negating the one thing you know that is going to give you power and grace, and that's prayer. I want to encourage you today to start praying. Start praying like never before. Trusting, trusting that when life gets hard and, and, and praying even gets hard, that, that God will give you grace to even pray in the times when you don't feel like praying. Prayer should not be a last-ditch effort. I get that. But it's never too late to petition the throne room of heaven for God to act on your behalf. Oh, prayer is always the best recourse no matter what stage of the journey you are on. I encourage you to pray. I can't encourage you enough to pray. It's where the power is. As Sturgeon says, prayer pulls the rope below to the great bell of heaven that rings in the ears of God. God is a heavenly father who hears our prayers. No matter how late in the game it happens. Even this week, our son celebrated his second birthday. We got him a basketball hoop for outside and then a little one for the pool that he can float around and throw baskets in the pool. In the midst of us doing all our stuff around his birthday party, I hear this little call from the living room, Alp! I'm like, walk in there. He is all tangled in his little basketball hoop. He can't even move. But he wasn't stressed. He wasn't panicked. He was like, Alp! Got a picture to prove it. Pulled him out. I was like, oh, if we could just learn that. Instead of struggling, instead of wrestling, just... No matter how tangled we are in the storm, just help, knowing that God will come through. Here's the last one. Act in faith. Act in faith. Notice what happens after prayer. It's after prayer that everyone else is coming undone, but Paul is so strong and so sound. It's after prayer that Paul decides that, hey, hey, let's eat this food and let's thank God for the food he's given us and trust him with what's ahead. And so it's really an act of faith by eating food right here at this, this time. It's really an act of faith that God's, God, God's got this. 
By dumping the rest of the wheat in the sea, they're saying, you know, we're going to eat and nourish ourselves and we're going to trust God of the rest. It's walking by faith, as 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, and not by sight. What do I do in the storm? You hope in God. You pray fervently. You keep walking by faith and not by sight. Believing in Psalm 37 tells us that God will act. It's choosing to believe that God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. Again, the first thing that seems to go in the storms is belief in God and his word. I know the Bible says this, but. I know I'm supposed to, but things are just so hard. I know, but. All these but. What's the one thing you need more than anything in a storm? You need an anchor. Where's your anchor? Your anchor's in the word of God, trusting that God's word is true and acting faith, just walking faithfully through the storm. There's an old song by heritage singers called God Said It, I Believe It, that settles it ministered to me as I thought about this song, popped in my head as I was doing this sermon. Listen to what it says. So this is how we navigate through storms, just walking by faith and not by sight. Faith is the essence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. God's word has said it, and I believe it. For the miracle of salvation has happened to me. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Though some may doubt, his word, uh, some may doubt that his word is true, I've chosen to believe. Now how about you? God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Do you believe that God created, just like he told you in his word? Do you believe that every world in space came to place by his own power? Do you believe that God can change your life and give you freedom from your sin? He'll open every door that blocks the way. You can say within, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. God is the author, and he's the ending of all that I believe in. Life more abundant is yours for the asking. The miracle can happen to you. God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Though some may doubt his word is true, I've chosen to believe. No, how about you? God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it for me. Storms aren't the end of the world. Storms don't mean you're not following God. Storms are going to happen. And how we respond to the storm is crucial if we're going to get to the destination that God has called us to, and ultimately our final destination in heaven. Brings us to our last point, number three. Whatever you're going through, let me say this, believe and hope and pray and act in faith and wait for God to shine in your darkness. He will shine. Here's the final hope at the end. Even if the ship wrecks, know God will bring you safely through. Even if the ship wrecks, even know that God will bring you safely through. There's always only one ending for believers. I somehow made it safely through. That's the only ending we know because we have a God so great and so powerful. Here's how this was going to go down in the sailors' minds. They were going to like run for shore. They're going to run right up on shore. They're all going to put down the ladder and hop out on dry land. Uh, here's how it really played out. They couldn't even make the boat hit the shore. That's how, that's how dire straits were. They, they, hit a, they hit something, a reef before the shore, got tied up. And the, the guards are going to kill all the prisoners because if they, they die, then we die anyways. Let's kill them all right now. And, and instead, the centurion, who's like, man, remember his stripes? He had something to prove before the Caesar, right? He's like, I'm, I'm getting Paul through. And if I get Paul through, we're going to be okay. He's like, no, don't do that. Just jump overboard and grab onto, grab onto a piece of wood and part of the ship. And so ship is sunk. All these 276 people hanging onto something. They, every one of them made it to shore, which is astounding. Again, if I were to write this story, well, God's in it, right? So it's going to be like, they're going to have this nice smooth right up on the shore and they're all going to jump out. You know, they got to shore, they were battered and they were worn and they were tattered. They've been holding on for good. When they got to shore, they probably just, just like, oh, I'm on shore. They probably laid there huffing and puffing for a while, just amazed that they're still alive, like never so happy to hit land. 
somehow it shatters our like, well, if God's on my side. We're going to have this nice little bridge to cross and we're just going to be waltzing. God doesn't promise that, but here's what he promises you and I. We're going to make it safely to shore. We are going to make it safely to shore. When all is said is done, God is going to get his plan accomplished in your life. If it's time to get to your destination, you're going to get there. If your final destination is heaven today, guess what? You're going to get there too, and that's good. That's God's plan for you. Ultimately, know this as we read this chapter. God is in total control of every storm of life, and he uses it to show his power, his provision, his presence to accomplish his plan. When all else fades, when all hope is gone, where do we look? We look to God. And we choose today to believe that God can and God will deliver us through whatever storm we're going through. I know there's some of you in this room that are like, yeah, that sounds all good. That's in the story. Nice, happy ending. But that's not how I feel today. I, I know that I'm supposed to feel that God can, but I really feel in my heart that God can't, that he's powerless and incompetent, that he's all talk and no game. I encourage you today to, 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 to come and let us pray for you and let us encourage you through your storm. But erase that thought, God can't, out of your mind because can't is not in God's vocabulary. Other of you are in your storm and whatever your nor'easter is, you have maybe, we all have different nor'easters, right? They're all different in our hearts. You're like, I know, I know it's not God can't, but I'm thinking in my heart, God won't. I know he's powerful, but he's probably preoccupied with everybody else's stuff. Too busy with others and not probably high enough on the totem pole for God to rescue me out of this. Like, I want to remind you of what we learned just a minute ago, that you belong to Jesus. It's not that God can't. It's not that God won't. Some of you are like, yeah, God can. He can. Of course he can, but it really goes back to, does God really love me enough to reach out to me in my time of deepest need? God can. Not God can, God can, but God can. Some of you today are God will, and I pray we all get to the God will part. He's powerful, and he cares immensely, and he acts. He acts according to his purpose. God will get me through. If I'm a believer, that's what we hold on to. We hold on to hope that God will get me through. It might not be pretty. It might not be the way I designed it. It's the way I desire, but God will get me through. Do you have that hope today that God will get you through even the fiercest of storms? Look at this whole book on Acts. The church is still going. Paul is still alive. Miracles. God's plan is unstoppable. God's plan is unstoppable. God's plan is unstoppable in your life as well. Even when you're faithless, 2 Timothy says, I come back to this verse a lot because I think it resonates with all of our hearts. Even when we're faithless, God will be faithful for he cannot disown himself. God told Paul, my design for your life is to testify before Caesar that the world might know my glory. God's call for your life is that you would testify before any, any platform, testify from any platform you get about the glory of God so people can see the truth of the name of Jesus Christ. And God will get you to that platform that he has designed for you every time he wants you to be there. You just got to hang on and trust and not give up and continually, continually rely on the power and the strength of God. Let me pray. Father, so uh, powerful and impactful, this text. God, I know, and I'm not naive enough to think that we all here are not in storms in life. I know that there are many, uh, many oppositions in people's lives. I also know there's many nor'easters going on in hearts right now. Father, I pray through the power of your word that you would speak to those who are in this, this storm that they've lost all hope in. God, may they not be ashamed thinking they're less spiritual than somebody else because they seem to have lost hope. Would they not think it's too late to call out to you, God? 
Would they instead, Lord, through this message, simply see, see the God that loves them, the God that died for them? And may this be a, a time, God, where they reach out to you and look for you in the storm. Father, would you give us grace to care for people that are in storms around us, not to judgmentally look down upon them and think that we're better than them. Or, but, but God, would you help us as a congregation to point every person who's going through a hard time in life to the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of a God who never fails. And God, would you allow us all to uh, just live faithfully through the storms that are to come? We know, God, as we live life, the storms aren't over yet. It might be a nice peaceful season right now as we saw for moments in this chapter. But God, we know there's more hard to come. May we not be naive to the hard to come. And when it does come, God, may we be ready for it. And may we be, be eager to not give up or run away or, or hide in the storm. But God, to stand strong in the storm in the grace and the strength of our God. To give glory to you, God, in the storm, no matter what it is in our lives. God, we can't do this on our own. We need your strength. We need your grace. We need your power to even stand in the storm. Thank you for these assurances, God, that we find in your word. Now enable us, God, as we leave this place, no matter what happens this coming week, whether it's good or not according to our plan or even downright ugly, no matter what happens, may we all be like Paul and simply live our lives with one aim, to testify to the glory and the grace of our God that the whole world might know Jesus Christ. Please, God, would you do this work in us? We need you in this moment. We want you here now. In Jesus' name, amen.